Welcome to Chapter 3 of HealthSystemCIO.com's interview with J.D. Whitlock, CIO at Dayton Children's Hospital. In this segment, he talks about the one area where he needed to expand his knowledge as a new CIO, how he benefited from the broad operational experience he gained while in the military, and why he believes value-based care isn't just a good strategy, but the only way forward. What was it that drew you to this role? Uh, well, I now commute three miles instead of 47 miles. <laughs> that, that helped. Yep, that was a, that was a big draw. Um, uh, it's my first CIO role, so it's you know, an opportunity to enjoy the strategic things mm-hmm. and um, helping you know, the clinical and business leadership think through where we need to go here and there overall clinical business strategy and then translating that into Epic and IT services. Timing was good, and so it uh, um, worked out well. Great. And were there people you reached out to with this being your first CIO role, maybe getting some advice or just uh, anything, that you, anything you did that, to kind of prepare for the role in that way? So I've been doing healthcare IT for 20 years now, so mm-hmm. I have started out just IT operations when I was in the Air Force, then got into more of the analytics side. So actually my job at Mercy was actually had a lot of similarities to my last five years in the Air Force supporting analytics for a large integrated delivery network, which coincidentally are approximately the same size in revenue, even though the Air Force Medical Service is a global organization. <laughs> That's a lot of clinics, not a lot of hospitals. And so, and so Mercy with 22 hospitals in Ohio and Kentucky, not a global organization, was revenue-wise about the same size. So I had a lot of experience in large integrated delivery networks doing that. And so areas that I am comparatively weak on and trying to get up to speed on are like the cybersecurity, which I had a general awareness of, just being in the industry for a long time. But, you know, sitting down with my uh, chief information security officer here, who, by the way, is really only a part-time chief information security officer because he's also running the network team. So those kind of things are the small job, you know, challenging is to make sure we're leveraging the technology. And, of course, cybersecurity is an area where there's got my phone ringing off the hook with vendors who are going to, you know, help me do better cybersecurity. But, of course, none of it's cheap, and so we got to make smart decisions about what we're doing for real-time monitoring and all that all that kind of thing. So, yeah, there's absolutely some knowledge gaps of areas that I need to get smarter on that I haven't had. I've had broad experience with, but not detailed experience with before. That's probably the one that I would call out. I started out as a healthcare administrator in the Air Force before I got in IT. So I'm coming, got into healthcare IT from the healthcare operations side. So I'm not a coder or IT infrastructure, but I've been around it long enough. I can hopefully have intelligent conversations with with my CTO about what we need to do from an infrastructure perspective. Right. And as far as your time with the Air Force, I would imagine that there are uh, a lot of things you took from that time as well, just in in terms of of leadership. I mean, every time I I speak to somebody who who had, you know, a lot of military experience, they they usually say that the foundation that they got there is something that they've really, uh, you know, been able to build upon as far as leadership. Yes, absolutely. So my um, military career was actually started out in the Navy doing not healthcare stuff, driving um, ships around. So I was on a destroyer for um, two years. And by the way, I never ran into anything with my destroyer, even though that seems to be a problem today for the Navy. And so, yeah, I was two years out of college and had a team of 40 people that were maintaining all the main propulsion 
machinery on a U.S. Navy destroyer sailing around the world and did Desert Storm. And, and so, yeah, that'll either turn you into a hopefully good leader and manager or it'll drive you <laughs> drive you insane or out of the military or something. So, yeah, hopefully I'm a competent leader and manager. So it's kind of just been, you, you have like different experiences in different areas and, and it seems like you've been able to get kind of a diverse experience to bring into this role. Yeah. So then when I did start in healthcare in the military in the Air Force, so I switched from the Navy to the Air Force, then my career field in the Air Force was a healthcare administrator. And, and the military in general wants to make a generalist out of you because when you need to pick up and deploy and fly across the world and set up a hospital in the desert or a mountain someplace, you can't have people be too specialized, right? Right. And so the military makes you do different things. So I had to do the practice management thing and the hospital administration thing and even the health plan management thing with the military TRICARE, you know, the health plan, before I got into IT. So intentionally you know, broad operational experience, which is really convenient to have. It's convenient to have worked on the health plan side when you start talking about population health and claims data. But I didn't do that intentionally. I was just smart enough to hang out in the military. I'm very glad I did. I'm very happy to be a retired military person. I get a check every month uh, for doing that, and I have good health benefits, and I would recommend that to <laughs> last the good deals, join the military. Uh, and then I was health care IT just sort of appealed to me, and I like love the, working with the people that are also attracted to that, you know, my fellow geeks that enjoy working in healthcare, where there's hopefully the, some societal good that comes from doing a good job instead of just, uh, just making a buck if you're building widgets. And that just tends to attract great people, and I love, love working with them. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to close with kind of a big question, but... Okay. Um, in terms of where the industry is headed now with, with the movement to go from fee-for-services to uh, you know, value-based care, and are you happy with the direction that the industry is going, even though you know, these are very difficult steps that, that, that are being taken, but are you encouraged by the progress the industry is making as a whole? Um, yes and no. So, so let's unpack that. So on the one hand, you've got CMS saying we're really going after value-based care, right. okay? But A, that's really hard. And um, of course, there's been a lot of controversy about, for example, the Medicare Shared Savings Program. And yes, it, some organizations are successful. A lot of other organizations are not successful. What does that all mean? You know, are we doing bundles? Are we doing mandatory bundles? Now we're taking a step back from the mandatory bundles, which I think is the right thing to do because when you're doing those bundles, you have to, you really have to get people collaborating that don't all work for the same organization typically. And right. I'm not sure you can force people into that. That ought to be a, a voluntary thing. And, you know, MIPS and MACRA and what are we doing and are, are you managing to the Here's the tricky thing with population health and value-based care generally. You can't manage to the lowest common denominator of that independent doc-in-the-box out there who is grumpily using the EHR and meaningfully use stage one, and that's really all they're ever going to do. And yes, MIPS might be hard for them, but if we go the speed of the lowest common denominator, we'll never get to that destination. Some other frustrations around that is one of my little soapbox issues is if government and commercial payers want provider organizations to do population health, we really need to come up with some standardized clinical quality measures mm -hmm. for measuring the quality part of the triple aim. Yeah. And we haven't done that. And it's 
would be reasonably straightforward to fix, but nobody seems particularly interested in fixing that. And so what tends to happen is, I saw this at Mercy, you've got seven or eight different at-risk contracts from seven or eight different payers, and they all have different quality measures. There's some overlap, but there's a lot of differences and different commercial payers count things differently. Even if you're looking at breast cancer screening, there's you know 15 different ways to look at it. And that's just impossible. You can't do it. You can't do hundreds of quality measures. So so anyways, I am a huge fan of value-based care. I think it's the only, really the only way forward. And one analyst, by the way, says a great quote. He said, look, the reason that we have to go forward with this, even though it's really painful, is because the only alternative is major rationing of care, which yeah. nobody wants to do. And so that's part of the reason why it's value-based care has been generally maybe the only thing bipartisan in Congress these days yeah. is there's really no other good solution. So it's not whether we should do it. It's how can we actually get there and what sort of policies can the government um, set. Now, in pediatric world, coming out of adult world where a lot of Medicare focused and Mercy was a MSSP track three, um, in pediatric world with Medicaid, which is, of course, administered by the state, you don't have that. And in, in Ohio, it's Medicaid managed care. And there's five companies that do Medicaid managed care, and none of them are particularly interested in sharing risk with providers, and the state's not telling them to, so we're not really in the same place. I shouldn't say none of them. I mentioned before Anthem is, is doing something with us. So we have a commercial Anthem plan. We do not have anything meaningful with the Medicaid managed care, which is really a shame. Yeah, yeah. It's really complicated. <laughs> it's some really it complicated is. issues. But as you said, it's really the only direction that we can go in. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how things kind of continue to uh, unfold. Absolutely. And also that, that perspective, you know, for being a pediatric organization, yeah, as you said, that there's a whole different uh, set of considerations uh, in a lot of areas, but uh, in this one as well. Yes. All right. Linda, well, no, we, we've covered a lot, and uh, I, I definitely appreciate your time. So unless there's anything you wanted to talk about, I guess this is a good time to, to wrap things up. Sounds great. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Kate. Thanks so much, and I definitely want to catch up down the road, see how things have, have gone uh, with the upgrade and everything else. Sounds great. Let's do it. All right, great. Thank you so much, J.D. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.